All right, we've got a great episode of Side Retired for you guys today. We're just going to be recapping all the latest transactions because we haven't really done a rumors roundup in a while. So here we go. Monday, January 8th, intro music, and let's get right into this. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired. Unfortunately, it's the end of winter break for a lot of us here on the podcast and it's time to get back to school. I know James is currently in route to college right now as we're recording. So James, how you doing? Doing good. Looking forward to getting back at it this week. Absolutely. So we've got a couple of great episodes coming out for you guys real soon. But today, a lot of moves sneaky have been happening. I know everyone says around the holiday season, not a lot happens in Major League Baseball, but that was false this week. We had... Teoscar Hernandez signed this night. Sean Manaya signed with the Mets. Harrison Bader signed with the Mets. We had a former Cy Young Award winner. Robbie Ray was traded to the San Francisco Giants. A unique deal. Some international deals, including Wu Sucko, signed with the San Diego Padres. Chris Sale was traded from the Boston to the Boston from the Boston Red Sox. Sorry, to the Atlanta Braves. Frankie Montas and a couple other things. We're going to go in chronological order of what we think happened most recently, and that is that the Los Angeles Dodgers found a way to defer another contract and continue to add on to their incredible roster signing Teoscar Hernandez to a one-year $23.5 million deal. Unfortunately, Nico, this means that he is a left fielder now. Sorry, we will not get to discuss him on our top 10 list because Shohei Otani is the DH in LA, but want to give all the props to Teoscar, great baseball player, and the Dodgers got even better. Your thoughts? I mean, yeah, I'd say Oscar's a great baseball player. This is kind of what we're thinking that the Dodgers is just going to do until pitchers and catchers report. I mean, I think we're all just thinking how many moves are they going to make? It's not if they're going to make another one, because it seems like they're just going to make one once a week. Look, Tay Oscar is going to help them a lot, especially because Mookie Betts is sliding over to second. It's going to help them in the outfield. Again, I feel like he was a real unsung hero of when he was on the Blue Jays because they had Vladdy, because they had Bo Bichette. For the last about four or five years, I think four out of the last five years, he's had over an 800 OPS, and this was kind of more his down year. If he can go back to being what he was on the Blue Jays, I mean, this is going to be so worth the 23 and a half million, I believe, that they yeah. they offered him. I think if he has that years that he was having with the Blue Jays, easily going to pay itself back in spades. And again, that will just, again, cement them as being the best roster, and the narrative is continuing to grow on – the Dodgers are going and going to be the favorites again. Are they going to choke in October? Because I feel like that's just what you can only think now because people are already saying in the, it's three, three world series are bust. Like when you're getting people like this, the number of rings that you have to get in Otani's tenure only grows because you're paying the greatest player arguably to ever play two mil a year for the next 10. So it's insane, but. We'll see what happens. The net present value of the contract is estimated to be around $19 million. Of course, the Red Sox were second. They offered him a ground two years, $28 million. The Angels apparently were in on him, but never reached the stage of offering him a contract. There are still a couple of very similar baseball players. I know Nico and I were talking about this earlier, whether Torre Soler, J.D. Martinez, Justin Turner, a name I forgot earlier, Reese Hoskins, sort of fits that same right-handed slugger, not great defensively, which again, Interesting for the Dodgers, given that Teoscar is going to be the everyday left fielder with Shohei locking up the DH, unless all of a sudden they decide Shohei is going to play some 
left field, which I don't think he will. Uh, James, I'm going to come to you quickly first, though, because we will not get to cover Teoscar now on our top 10 DHs. So to remind our listeners, go back and listen to our top 10 left fielders episode that we released on Friday. But where does he fit in in that ranking? Obviously, to remind our listeners, you had Evan Carter, Randy Rosarena, Ian Happ at the top, that middle tier of McCormick, Yelich, Reynolds, Stephen Kwan, and then your breakouts, Nolan Jones, Spencer Steer, and then the fantasy baseball champ, Tommy Pham at 10. Yeah, I mean, Teoscar, it is a consistent 25-plus home run guy. Um, his defense isn't something that you, you really look at uh, when you value him. Um, but, you know, he, he can drive runners in. Um, you know, a consistent three, 330, 345 on base guy. Um, you know, it is OPS. It's going to be above 100. Uh, he had a little bit of a down year after multiple 130 OPS plus seasons in Toronto. Um, I, I think look for him to get back on track next year. Uh, hitting six or seven, this loaded Dodgers lineup, I think that'll help him a lot uh, and take a lot of pressure off him uh, and, and allow him to thrive. Uh, so I think he may have slid into my top 10. He's probably 11 or 12 right now. Um, but I think it's a very good signing. Maybe a little expensive. Uh, I was surprised to see 20 plus million dollars for Teoscar Hernandez. Um, but you know, uh, I, you, you never know. Uh, we'll see what happens this season. I think it's definitely an interesting move. I, the problem with the Dodgers is, and this is what we felt like with the Mets to the Yankees, money doesn't seem to be an issue. They see a player they want, they get him. And they're now using this deferral thing, which will be interesting to see what happens in 2035 when they're still paying guys that have been retired for 10 years. But 20 mil, when you think about it, for a year for Tiasker is not as bad. Obviously, 23.5 isn't that much bigger, but it seems manageable as a contract. Nico, you want to jump in? Yeah, I think that we're really starting to see effects. I think there was a lot of questions on if Otani and Yamamoto were going to set the market just in general for free agency. It really seems like it has. I mean, we're talking about an offseason where Teoscar Hernandez coming off of a about average year at best, got 23 and a half mil, and Lucas Giolito coming off a seven ERA, got 19 and a half mil a year. It really seems like we were all kind of like wondering whether Otani was going to be an anomaly and Yamamoto was going to be an anomaly and kind of nothing was going to kind of hold. It really seems like everything is just going to start going up for like the years to come. And we're seeing the effects already now because I think no one was expecting Lucas Giolito to get 19 and a, half and a half and Teoscar to get 23 and a half. But that's kind of the market we're living in now. Well, since yeah, you I took us, oh yeah, go for it. I, I just, I think this is going to, I mean, I don't think we're going to see Bellinger and then then Snell sign until really close to pitchers and catchers reporting, or maybe even into spring trading. I mean, they, I mean they both have to think they're worth upwards of thirty two, thirty three million dollars now after looking at at contracts and some guys that didn't even put together good seasons this past year. Yeah, yeah. I, I think would, I'll, yeah, go for it. Blake Snell asked if Blake Snell asked for anything less than 30 mil i mean how could you think that you're not after yamamoto a guy who hasn't pitched in the big league signed for the biggest contract ever and lucas giolito again sucked 19 and a half how are you not thinking i had at least a three times better year than lucas giolito i should be get i cannot be getting five mil more i can't sign for 25 mil when lucas giolito is getting paid 19 and a half and yamamoto hasn't pitched and he's gonna blow me out of water like he has he's at least worth 30 mil 
think about the robust starting pitcher market, and we can continue to go down that rabbit hole as the New York Mets got Shamanai for $28 million. And Shamanai only started in 10 games last year, had an ERA north of around five. Uh, he didn't do well in 2022 either. Talking to a couple of Giants fans who said he did discover a new pitch in the sweeper uh, that was pretty effective when he started to throw it towards the middle of last season. However, the thing is, and we'll get into the Mets perspective of this as well, He's not a guarantee. He's thrown over 165 innings once in his big league career. The New York Mets already took on a reclamation project in Luis Severino earlier this offseason. Jose Quintana missed half of the season last year. Kodai Senga threw a large amount of innings in his first year in professional Major League Baseball last year. And Tyler McGill and Adrian Hauser are cool, and I like them as those sort of depth guys. But we are entering a season where, once again, the New York Mets will have the highest payroll in baseball and once again it's not very close and their starting rotation is Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana, Luis Severino, Sean Manaya, and Adrian Hauser. Sounds like 75 wins if you ask me. Yeah especially with the fact that the Mets weren't great offensively last year. I mean I think they were kind of middle of the pack to below average and I think the kind of saving grace that everyone's kind of looked to for the last couple of years has been their pitching. And I think when I, when Diaz got hurt, we all thought that that was just an excuse. People were Mets fans were just like, Oh, that's an excuse for our whole pitching staff to be bad. Cause Edwin Diaz, the guy who pitches one inning got hurt. The Mets don't look like they're improving at all. I don't see besides the fact that, Oh, maybe they'll close a couple more games and not blow all of them. I don't see where they're going to make this big improvement. That's going to warrant the amount of money that they're going to spend. The fact that they've missed on a lot of guys, which is obvious, They're, they've missed on Yamamoto, they missed on Otani, a lot of guys they're attempting to be in on. This is not a good roster right now. A lot needs to change, or a lot of people that they're betting on, they need to bet correctly on, as in Shamanaya needs to go back to what he kind of was when he was in his peak with the Oakland Athletics. And Luis Severino needs to go back to being a top three pitcher in the American League when that's what his prime was. And I don't think you can bank on any of that happening like with any sort of certainty. And when talking to our Giants guy, Lucas, he said that Sean Manai is a really good pickup for a team. $28 million Sean Manai is not a good pickup for a team. And I'm pretty sure that's his exact wording to us. And that good reclamation project, I believe he visited driveline this offseason. The sweeper is getting developed. But that's the type of guy that you throw as your swing, and which is the role that he did with the Giants last year. He started 10 games. He relieved in around 15. The year before that, I think he leaned more towards the starter side, but did have a couple of relief outings as well. He's penciled in as the number three, which does get me to thinking, are the Mets not done? And maybe with Senga coming over from Japan, he's used to a six-man rotation, and Severino's coming off of injuries, and Quintana's coming off an injury, and who knows if maybe Tyler McGill is that sixth, or they're thinking of let's add another guy a la Jordan Montgomery, a la Trevor Bauer, as much as I want that to happen. Um, maybe that's what the Mets are thinking, but it seems like, according to the reports of friends of the podcast, Tim Britt and Tim Healy, the Mets are done in their rotation. They're adding another reliever. They're adding a DH bat, and they're ready to roll with this Milwaukee Brewers-esque baseball team in the 2023 season. But speaking of the NL East, one team got a lot better, I think. That's up for debate, potentially. Atlanta Braves traded and then extended Chris Sale immediately to a two-year extension. They gave up Vaughn Grissom. Nico, we did have you talking about the Vaughn Grissom side of things already, so we're going to table that 
for now because you already told us about why he's going to be a stud second baseman on the Red Sox. But James, take us through the Brewer or the Braves perspective on this deal. Yeah, I think Chris Hale still has a lot of upside. Uh, the velocities fluctuated over the past couple of seasons back up and down. Um, I think they see him as, as a project. I think they see him as a guy that they can get back to. I don't think AL Cy Young form, uh, but I think certainly all-star form uh, is very attainable in their eyes. Um, you know, changing leagues always helps, uh, in my opinion. I think just getting a fresh start always helps. Um, and I think, you know, especially having a guy like Max Freed, a fellow left-handed pitcher, uh, I, I think Snail, 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 Sale will fit in comfortably uh, with this Atlanta Braves team. Uh, he'll know there won't be a lot of pressure to have to perform uh, at a high level. Immediately, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of great bats on that lineup. Uh, they're not expecting to go out and give them six innings, seven innings, one or two run ball. Uh, they can still win baseball games with three, four, uh, even five runs given up uh, over a six or seven inning start. Um, so I, I think it's a great change of scenery for Sale. Uh, his time in Boston, uh, I think, will be remembered uh, as well as it deserves to be. Um, he's such a great pitcher, uh, and he's so many years removed from some of his fantastic performances with White Sox. Um, that we forget how good Chris Sale really was. Um, but I think this will be very helpful for Chris Sale uh, and for the Braves uh, as he gets a fresh start uh, in Atlanta. It seems very similar to Charlie Morton, who they brought in after his tenure with the Houston Astros. Got him, I believe he was around 37 or so when he was first acquired. And just every year they've been helping him do a one-year extension, a two-year extension. And he's not been an all-star like he was earlier in his career with the Astros and with the Rays. But he's been a dependable three-starter, four-starter, taking the ball all the time. Obviously, Chris Sale's biggest issue is his health. But I think the Braves see something that we don't need Cy Young, Chris Sale. They also have that other guy, Spencer Strider, as their Cy Young in the rotation. And up for debate whether this means Max Fried is on his way out after next season. But they can go into 2024 knowing that they have arguably one of the best rotations, if not the best rotation in baseball, with Cy Young finalist Spencer Strider. Always dependable Max Fried solid Charlie Morton, high upside Chris Sale, and most people forget about it, 2023 all-star Bryce Elder at the five spot. Nico, your thoughts? Yeah, this is the move that you can make when you're in the Braves situation. Because very simply, they have so many key guys locked up to very team-friendly contracts that you can afford to take a risk on Chris Sale and it not work. When you have Ronald Acuna, the, the MVP, at, what, $10 million a year? Yep. Like you can afford to take a, a flyer on Chris Sale. When you have Ozzy Albies, top five second baseman on a team friendly deal, you can afford to get this Chris Sale. This is all the product on the Braves developing and signing very early the guys that they believe in, that they're able to go. If this Chris Sale thing, I personally agree with everything that's been said. I think it, he did need a change of scenery. I think his time with the Red Sox was kind of over. I think that's been over for a while and like not even in a bad way. But if this doesn't work, nothing's changing for the Braves, which is in what my opinion is the craziest thing about this. Is the only reason that Von Grissom is traded from the Braves is because they've done so well developing people that the big knock on Von Grissom was that he lost the position in spring training because he was in a battle with Orlando Arcia, and that was the starting shortstop in the All-Star game this year. Like, Von Grissom didn't do anything wrong. He's still a great prospect. They just saw that they had a clog and they got Chris Sale out of it. And if Chris Sale, if it seems to be that it wasn't like just change of scenery, they actually can get back to being what 
anything close to what he was and it was kind of just a waste. Yeah, you wasted a contract, but you're still looking like, again, one of the best teams in the NL. And let's talk about a trade that occurred a couple of days ago that I think the best way to summarize is that MLB The Show was turned on and franchise mode and we can see some crazy deals happen there that don't seem realistic. I think if we said this deal were to happen or like a week ago, someone suggested on our bold predictions that Robbie Ray, I believe two years into his contract with the Seattle Mariners and his former Cy Young winner is getting dumped to San Francisco in a basically salary dump for both directions because Mitch Hanniger got dumped back to Seattle where he's known and loved and Anthony DiScalfani, who according to our same Giants expert, who I think we need to have Lucas on the podcast at some point with all the amount we've talked about the Giants, but he said Anthony DiScalfani's ankle is shattered and just has not been able to pitch for two years off of it. So he doesn't seem very worthwhile. But the key is that those two contracts are short term. They're both expiring, I believe, after either this year or next year versus Robbie Ray has three, four years left on the contract in San Francisco. Weird deal. I didn't really know how to describe this one, but all of a sudden when the trade broke, the first text I got besides from Lucas was from David, who said, I have a strong opinion about this trade and I have not heard the opinion, but we figured that means we need to have David on the episode to hear this strong opinion. So David, the floor is yours. Robbie Ray is a giant in exchange for Anthony DiScafani and Mitch Haniger. Your thoughts. Oh boy. Uh, first off, New Year's, the new year brings new things, and I guess it brought a new me because the Giants got absolutely fleeced in this trade. Uh, first of all, for those that don't know, the, Rob, the Giants get Robbie Ray, whose two best seasons in his career were 2017 and 2021. 2017, he pitched for the Diamondbacks, made the All-Star game. 15-5 and five was his record. ERA was under grade, 2.89 at age 25, 218 strikeouts in 162 innings. His ERA went up, and then and then he went, you went to his Cy Young season with the, the Blue Jays, age 29, 13 and 7, 284 ERA. 193 innings pitch. Next two seasons with the Mariners, injury prone, similar stats, except the ERA went up because of that injury. And for that the sounds like Mariners, a but but for the Mariners, they're getting they're getting back a player in Mitch Haniger, who had his most success with the the Mariners, a big part of their postseason run in 2022, and Anthony. DeCephalani, who pitched the who pitched his best with the Giants. I'm I'm just saying, you're the Giants get a so-called innings eater who is unhealthy, who many okay. thought could take that next step to be an ace, but he's not an ace. If you're gonna have good years or great years, 2017, 2021, followed by very bad years. Then you're not an ace. You're a solid in, innings eaters at inning eater at best. But now with the worry of injury prone, and the only reason why you made this big trade was to in, 
to acquire star talent. This is not a star. He will give you innings if healthy, but what you gave up is stupid. You didn't get a pick in return. You didn't make it a two for two. And uh, you literally give back a Mariner returning home in Hanniger, who sure didn't play great for you in his one season with you guys. He literally played one full season with you guys, and then you let him go back to Seattle along with one of your successful pitchers of the past three years. Are you kidding me? You got to be joking. He could have been a future four pitcher, a future three pitcher, maybe even a, a future five pitcher of that rotation. And I feel bad for Anthony. Now he's going to be on the Mariners, and I, I predict, He's going to lower his ERA down, pitch 120 innings for the first time since 2021, and have a winning record. And the other big reason why I feel like the Giants got fleeced, they only did this trade because they didn't get someone like Otani or Yamamoto in free agency. They, it, it, no one wants to go there. Maybe Brandon Crawford for a retirement run. But my point is, they only did this because they were desperate, they needed someone, and they were being straight up stupid. I. <laughs> it's a take. It's it's a very interesting take that you just presented. Um, my, like, I'm not saying that Robbie Ray is one of the worst pitchers in the game. He can be great, but if he's gonna have bad years after great years, you're making one of the worst trades I ever. Saw. I'm gonna. As much as I agree with, all right, I'm going to try to dissect and then Nico and James can come support me. I agree that the Giants have not been able to lure in a star. And it seemed like their fan base, whether it's after Correa, Judge, Otani, Yamamoto, they've been starving for something. And whether that's Juan Soto next year, whether that's Blake Snell, they needed someone to to be a star the thing is i don't think that's what their plan is for robbie ray i think they view robbie ray as a former cy young award winner which he is at times we've seen robbie ray can be a top two pitcher in major league baseball not that far removed i believe you mentioned the cy young year is 2021 if i have that correct in toronto which yes. means that at his best Robbie Ray is a top two pitcher in baseball. Anthony DiStefani, at his best, is a four starter. Mitch Hanniger, at his best, is probably a platoon partner with Michael Conforto in left field for the Giants. So as much as I think you're looking at this in a terms of the Giants requiring an ace, and if, the, if their idea is that Robbie Ray is going to be the ace of their staff, they're crazy. But I'd argue that they have Logan Webb to be that ace. And Robbie Ray's goal is a middle-of-the-rotation starter. And when you think of it as they gave up a backup outfielder and a guy that hasn't been healthy in three years for a number three starter, I think it's a little far to say it's one of the worst trades in baseball, which is what you seem to describe it as. Now, for the Mariners, I think they escaped a seemingly brutal contract. But the problem with the Mariners is go spend it on Montgomery. Go spend it on Snell. Go spend it on Marcus Stroman, who's been begging the Yankees for a job over the last week. But we'll see what they do. But I don't 
in fact, I actually think the Giants won this trade. And if I'm the Giants, I do this trade 10 out of 10 times because Mitch Hanniger wasn't working. Scafani hasn't been good in a while. And Robbie Ray is a Cy Young candidate at his best. And you still have three years to fix him in a ballpark that is very conducive to pitchers, given that right field wall. I think Robbie Ray is going to thrive in San Francisco. It wouldn't shock me if he turns out to be a lethal one-two punch in 2025 with Logan Webb. But uh, I do respect and I do like your opinion on it. I just do disagree with everything. You just I'll just say this. If Robbie Ray doesn't pitch more than 10 starts, then already they lost the trade. because Because what if Di Sclafani doesn't pitch 10 starts? Because I already because I already see Di Sclafani. Di Sclafani is fine. He he doesn't have to start. He doesn't have to be a starting pitcher. The Mariners could use him in the bullpen. But he looks Di Sclafani like just doesn't. Pitch. Let's say he's not a starter. Let's say he's not a starter. Let's say what you just said is he doesn't need to start be a starter. Let's say he's not on the Mariners because the Mariners have a lot of young talent and a lot of starting pitching. So then. We're t- you're telling me that a guy who had a 600 OPS last year and a bullpen arm isn't a good trade with for Robbie Ray? I think I think we're all looking at this the wrong way. I think I'm I just think saying. Ray- I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> if Robbie Ray does not pitch well this year and doesn't even, even become that number two, they already lost that trade because. You need him to pitch well if they you're going to win this though. trade. Yes, no, David, David, I agree. David, I agree. David, I agree with that. I think I actually think David's right here, but for a different reason. <laughs> I don't think any of the players in this trade are even like worth half of what they're being paid. And I think, I think that the the Mariners being able to get out of a long term contract for a guy who clearly ran into a year of a stroke of luck in 2021 in Toronto. In a ballpark that was very pitcher friendly, it was very big. Uh, He's going now to a division that is arguably the best offensive division in of all divisions. You have the Diamondbacks, you have uh, the Dodgers, you have the Padres, and you have the Rockies. And yeah, sure, the Rockies maybe aren't that very good offensively, but they play in Coors Field, and you don't want to play there if you're a pitcher. Um, And so I think I think. Both sides got out of contracts, and, and the Mariners acquiring guys that were on shooter-term contracts. Uh, it will be easier to manipulate in the future because I don't think any of these teams are going to be contending next year uh, too much with, with their current rosters. Uh, so I think the Mariners getting into shorter-term contracts uh, and moving a guy clearly is never going to live up to that 2021 year ever again is, is a major, major success for them. Uh, I, I could see why both teams made the trade. Uh, and the Giants are obviously being very hopeful here and hoping that he could be even like a little bit like that 2020. Even if Robbie Ray struck out like 200 guys and threw like a 3-1 ERA, it would be considered like a tremendous win for the Giants. Like he wouldn't even get Cy Young votes. But I, I just don't think that will ever happen again. And I think that the fact that the Mariners get shorter-term contracts uh, and more salary relief over the future – I think they're going to be, which I think is when they're going to be contending. Uh, it's a, it's a much better deal for them. Yeah, in my opinion, my whole thing is, from a big name perspective, yeah, the Robbie Ray like really jumps out. I really don't 
care about this trade. I only care about it in one sense, and it's what do the Mariners do from here? I think that everyone was kind of talking about Logan Gilbert getting traded. That obviously didn't happen. It seemed like Rob, Robbie Ray was the guy to drop, so maybe Logan Gilbert stays. Matt Brash may get moved to the starting rotation. It seems like they've been trying to like tinker with that for a while. He's been a long zinning guy, high leverage situation. Maybe he gets moved in now that Robbie Ray's gone. I think the big question is what the hell do the Mariners do from here in the next one to two years? Like, is the move going to happen now? Is the move going to happen at another time? This is a cap. I Again, they have the ability to trade Robbie Ray. The high ceiling that we've talked about, they have the ability to be fine with trading him because they have Matt Brash. They have Logan Gilbert. They have Julio Castillo, uh, Luis Castillo. They have George Kirby. Now that you've got rid of that contract, you got to use it because again, your window is so long before once Julio starts doing what we all think Julio is going to do, that contract is going to get more and more expensive. So your window is kind of now when he hasn't hit any of those incentives. So it's what you do in these one yeah. to two years now that you got rid of Robbie Ray. That's the only thing I care about in this trade, honestly, even though the Robbie Ray name brings, makes people think that this is like very big. The only significance I see in this trade is that because at the end of the day, the Giants whether they have Robbie Ray or not, they were going to be a top 10 team pitching wise. That's what they kind of have been for the last two years, ever since Logan Webb's been the ace and they can't hit. So really this doesn't do anything for me in the Giants. I'll just say I this. Think, I'll just say I think this. The thing, I think the biggest thing about this whole thing is that neither team's moving the needle with this. The Giants are going to be stuck behind the Dodgers for the next however long. It doesn't really matter what they do because unless they're willing to back up the Brinks truck and spend close to $350 million, like the, the Dodgers clearly are saying they're going to do for the next 10 years. Uh, that's not, that division's not going to really matter. Um, and the Mariners, yeah, right when you think the Astros are on the decline, guess what? The Texas Rangers seem to have found five new guys uh, under the age of 26 to come back, pack their roster, uh, and turn them into a, to a dynasty. So I, I think for both teams – it's just kind of a linear move uh, to try and set themselves up more for the future. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think the Mariners come out on top for the shorter uh, contracts that are worth a little bit less money. I'll just say this to end this converse, part of the conversation off. Uh, I just – say what you want about the trade. Say what you want. Say that – say what you whatever you want, but that is just my opinion. I mean, say that – Say whatever you want, but I still think the Giants are getting unfair, but getting fleeced. But whatever, whatever happens, happens, and we'll see later down the run. I'm going to use our guy that we mentioned earlier, Sean Manai, as the example that the San Francisco Giants can develop off-speed pitches. And they did that with Robbie Ray, or they did that with Sean Manai this year. Robbie Ray to go to his baseball reference number baseball savant numbers his best pitch is his slider it had a uh slugging percentage of 345 against it a weighted on base percentage of 250 in comparison to his forcing fastball uh being around 290 in the 2022 season obviously only through two uh three innings in 2023 so if all of a sudden they're going to turn robbie ray into a type of pitcher that isn't going to be dominant with his fastball but instead a big breaking ball type of pitcher in that ballpark I see a lot of upside on the Giants side. I see zero upside on the Seattle Mariners side. So, yes, this trade, I think we are overreacting in the fact that this was the deal that we spent more time on than any other deal in the uh, 
in the episode is definitely telling that we're just attached to name values. And I can guarantee if a team signs Trevor Bauer, the same thing is going to happen. Former Cy Young Award winner. We're going to see the upside like we are seeing in Robbie right here. But Giants, Mariners, neither likely making the playoffs. Interesting move. I could see why both teams do it. Uh, I can see why people don't believe in the upside in Robbie Ray like myself or like I do. Um, but I also don't see the perspective of saying this is one of the worst deals in Giants history. But we digress. We talk about a couple other transactions that happened this week. I'll rattle off a couple. And obviously our co-hosts here, if any of them catch your eye, please do stop me. That includes the Mariners making a subsequent move and acquiring Luke Rayleigh for Jose Caballero. Uh, the Rays, after acquiring Jose Caballero, decided to flip uh, Richie Palacios to the Cardinals for Andrew Kittridge. Nico? I love this one. Four. I think uh, Richie Palacios had like an 800 OPS last year. And again, the Rays have this way of just guys who are under the radar and people don't really know. They see what's good about them and they just turn them into like either hitting or pitching machines. I think this could easily be a guy who we go and see has like an Austin Meadows like type when he was in his prime type year, like a Brandon Lau breakout year, because I mean, he already had a great year last year, had over an 800 OPS. And with what the Rays are able to do with their analytics and getting guys in situations to succeed, I love this move for Rich Palacios. Couple other guys that were moved throughout the week. We had the Andrew Kittridge deal, as we just mentioned. Luis Guillorme signed with the Atlanta Braves, which means he will cross the Mets at some point next season. Colorado Rockies signed both Dakota Hudson and Jacob Stallings. The Brewers signed Austin Nola. The Cubs acquired Brian Servin from the Colorado Rockies. Uh, the White Sox made two minor moves, Brett Phillips and Chad Cool. The New York Yankees spent their first dollars in free agency. Cody Poteet on a one-year $750,000. Congrats to a friend of the podcast, Declan Cronin, is now going to become a star now that he's been selected by the Houston Astros because they develop a lot of pitching over there. The New York Mets. Signed Harrison Bader to a one-year, $10.5 million contract. I love the move on its surface. I don't like the move for the team. Your thoughts first. I'm just confused by the Mets. Like, they're going the exact opposite route I thought they would. I was very – I really thought that they were going to go because of Cohen that they were going to go – the Giants route and just like kind of try and sign every single person that they can because they haven't signed someone over the last few years. Bader doesn't move the needle for me. I mean, yeah, cool. He went to UF with Peter Alonzo, um, but um, I don't think that's that sign. He's going to get Peter Alonzo to move down on his number, even just because that he has a former teammate. So again, doesn't really do anything for me. I think the weird thing is Harrison Bader is a good baseball player. Like, will he appear on our top 10 center fielders list? No. I'll try, but no. Um, but he's a great fourth outfielder or a good center fielder for a team with a lot of offense that you can stick him in the nine hole in your lineup, which is not the Mets because Bader's expected to be the everyday center fielder. As much as I love DJ Stewart, he shouldn't be an everyday player. So unless Stewart all of a sudden is playing left and Nimmo's in center and he's platooning with Bader, which either way isn't a good thing. And the Mets are still lacking a DH and Brett Beatty is still playing every day at third base. Bader's going to be like your sixth or seventh hitter in an order, which we saw two years ago in the Yankees postseason. If that's what's happening, your team is going nowhere. And while Bader had a historic postseason for the Yankees that year, 
Bader is not expected to do that over a full 162 with the Mets in center field. So a good move on its surface. The only problem is this basically locks the Mets into this is your position player group because you have Stewart, you have Joey Wendell, you have Tyrone Taylor, and you have Mark Vientos as your bench, and you also have a backup catcher in Omar Narvaez. So you have room for one more bat as a DH. But I'm going to present to you the Mets lineup, which is worth $400 million, and this is what the lineup ended up being. Nimmo's good at one. McNeil is good at two, although you're, you're down on both of those guys. Lindor is great at three. Alonzo's great at four. Starling Marte is never healthy at five. Francisco Alvarez had a good but could definitely regress season at six. Bader's at seven. He's not good offensively. Brett Beatty is eight. He's not good offensively. And then Mark Vientos is nine. Also hasn't been great offensively. I don't see a world. I really want to be wrong. So maybe if you add Reese Hoskins to that order, then you shift Marte and everyone else down one slot. I don't see how this team isn't a 75-win team. Yeah, I think that, and this just goes for every team, and I think the Mets, this is kind of what they fell into. You have to understand your identity. I think the Mets' identity is being able to get better pitching and so that like and develop pitching again we all know about the six guys that they had a couple years ago they've been able Thanks. to develop um your strategy should be young pitching guys who can break out solidified offensive players this signing for bader bader has been offensively for the last couple of years, always what he can be. And I feel like he reset the timeline on that thought when he did everything with the Yankees. I feel like that was dying out after the Cardinals went to the Yankees, popped off in the postseason. It was like, he can be that. This is a guy that you have not shown a track record for developing hitting. Your only development is Pete Alonzo, which really isn't a development because he was a college guy. McNeil was kind of towards a little bit older. Nemo, I'm not very high on Nemo. And we'll see what happens with Francisco Alvarez. You're good at developing pitching. You get solidified bats and let your pitching develop. I don't like them at all because I think they're not going to be able to have Bader reach any potential that he has. The problem is I like the move in a vacuum. The problem is you acquired Tyrone Taylor. Context is important. But Tyrone Taylor was acquired a couple of weeks ago to be that defensive-minded center fielder as a fourth outfielder. If that move never happened and Bader was acquired this week, I'd say, okay, Bader's the defensive nice guy that we're putting as our fourth outfielder. Let's now go get Lane Thomas from the Nationals or let's go sign Jock Peterson. The problem is now you have five outfielders on your team. Bader's pretty much just an upgraded Tyrone Taylor. And then GJ Stewart, I guess, is now going to be that offensive-minded outfielder, similar to Jock Peterson, but worse. So they have their outfield mix. Wendell's the backup infielder as your insurance to Brett Beatty. And then your backup catcher is either going to be over Narvaez or Tomas Nito. And then as we mentioned, the pitching staff isn't better because you lost Scherzer and you lost Verlander as much as we say they weren't great with the Mets. They weren't horrific. Scherzer was top seven in Cy Young in 2022. And Verlander put up a 3-1 in his 16 starts with the Mets. And the bullpen has already lost David Robertson. You can argue, yes, you got Edwin Diaz back, but the offense hasn't gotten better. So the way that That's this possible. payroll, the, the payroll went up 
and the team is still the same as last year. And again, you can argue, because I think it was Tim Healy that made this, that the Mets weren't a 100-win team in 2022, but they also weren't a 70-win team in 2023. They're somewhere in that middle ground. But again, I think this team as assembled, the middle ground is maybe 83, 84 wins. And that's arguably the worst spot to be in baseball because you're not getting a good draft pick and you're also not good enough to be good in the playoffs. You see, but I I would also disagree with that because I think they're closer to what they were this year. Because, for example... Which, again, wasn't bad. They got the 18th draft pick. Like, would you say that Lindor had a better year this year or last year? Three was better than 22. Slightly. Like, Lindor was better. Peter Lonzo... Worse. Worse, but for the first half was about the same. Really slowed mm-hmm. down in the second half, like more towards like August, September when you guys weren't playing. Well, the, the pro- if we're going to play the optimism better or worse, there's a way this lineup gets better. Full year of Alvarez. <laughs> Beatty doesn't fall off a boat. Marte is healthy. I don't 22, know. 22 Marte was a starting outfielder for the National. You guys have never been a good hitting team. We You've need to go and assess to come back. <laughs> been an average at best and that's my whole thing is what i was going back to teams need to solve their problems before you make moves that people think oh in a vacuum looks good we don't live in a vacuum solve your problems this move the biggest problem with it is what you're saying it hasn't solved anything and it's just wasted a spot for you to be able to solve a problem yeah you just wasted a roster spot and nothing got solved because you have a guy like you said in Tyrone Taylor that's comparable so right now you're the exact same either you wasted a trait a wasted a roster spot on Tyrone Taylor or you wasted a spot on Harrison Bader you have not you haven't solved anything three moves to potentially save the Mets and then I'm done with the Mets until they actually prove to deserve to be talked about DH Justin Turner a lot of sense because he can also play third if and when Brett Beatty falls on his face Reliever, David Robertson, Robert Stevenson, or the one I sneaky like the most, Araldus Chapman. New York experience, has closed games, but doesn't have to close games because Edwin Diaz is back. And I think the one positive about all these deals is if and when the Mets are out of things in July, they're all one-year deals. You dump them at the deadline and you get a lot back for Bader, Chapman, and Arvaez, dare I say it, Pete Alonso. At the deadline, you could see a fire sale. And this could be the type of team that is struggling but has very valuable assets. And then number three, it's tough. We've talked about this, the six-man rotation, Bauer, done, easy. Would thrive in a six-man rotation, would give you 200 innings, a lot of off-the-field stuff, but apparently there's rumors that the Mets are interested in Mike Clevenger. And if you're willing to go down the road with Mike Clevenger, there's no reason you're not willing to go down the road with Trevor Bauer. So Bauer, Turner, and Chapman. There's my offseason. Let's see if they get any of the three. But moving on, Wusako to the Padres, Tucker Barnhart to the D-backs, Frankie Montas to the Reds, cool, means they're spending. Zach Plesak to the Angels. Anything there? Again, this is just what we're kind of talking a little bit about. It's the thought of what he can be. And I don't think the Angels have shown 
any ability to develop pitching. I mean, what's the last pitcher they developed? Jared Weaver? <laughs> Not even. He played for the Padres before then. Like, Nolan Ryan? <laughs> I mean, Reed Detmers really hasn't, like, isn't really anything that I would say, like, oh, he's developed into what people kind of thought when he got Does right. Shohei kind of count? No, Shohei doesn't count at all. I would not count Shohei. Garrett Richards. Like, the the whole thought of Lee Sack is of what he can be meaning 2020. Yeah. I don't know if that's there. And if that is there, it's not the Angels (laughs) that are going to take it out of him. That's my whole thing with, with teams. You have to be able to know what you're good at. For example, I don't think that the Red Sox also should have signed Zach Lisak because I have no faith in the Red Sox getting the best out <laughs> of any pitcher. I think that you have to assume that the Red Sox are getting the worst out of any pitcher. But the Red Sox could develop hitting. So when you get a guy like Adam Duvall, you go and you're like, pray to God, and you put a little faith in their hitting. And then Adam Duvall has an 850 OPS. Like, know what you're good at. The Angels are not good at developing pitching. I don't like this for the simple reason, but I don't think they'll develop Zach Lee into what he <laughs> But worst case scenario, it's a $1 million contract. They can release him outright, do anything. Like that, it's only a mil, yeah. Oh, never mind. I love this contract. I didn't know it was a mil. I thought we were talking about like 10 mil. I feel like everyone gets signed. You can have a seven year and get signed for 15 mil. No, you got a nice one year, $1.1 million deal. Avoid angels. I'm going to be honest. Take everything I said back. <laughs> With all that being true. You got the guy for $1.1 million. (laughs) Yeah. But, of course, we'll be back later in the week. This week, we're touring all different aspects of Major League Baseball. We've got you covered. The next three episodes will be a Major League Baseball player agent, the only Hall of Fame voter to not vote for Adrian Beltre so far this year on the ballot. And Thursday, we've got a former big leaguer coming on the show. So, as well as our top 10 center fielders on Friday, a great week of side retired. Nico and I will be back in Washington, D.C. in a couple of hours. So we will be able to start recording more live content, in-person content. Shout out Big League Chew. So for Dylan, Nico, James, and David, until the next time, Side is Retired.